second front or wind it down? The new year begins with yet another trip by the U.S. Secretary of State to Israel. What message does Antony Blinken carry for Benjamin Netanyahu? As the war in Gaza enters its fourth month, we'll ask about Washington's calls for restraint and the potential for escalation with Lebanon. This in the wake of last week's airstrike that killed a senior Hamas official in a Hezbollah stronghold of Beirut. Blinken's visit comes as Israel's military announces a drawdown from northern Gaza. The beginning of the end of a brutal campaign or a redeployment uh, to the northern border. The prime minister continues to insist on a long war. We'll ask about simmering tensions between Netanyahu and his military command and the staying power of the longest serving leader in Israel's history. Netanyahu's coalition with a far right that uh, wants to annex Gaza. Uh, that coalition seems safe for now, despite the growing domestic pressure and the knowledge that its main backer, the United States, clearly does not want another forever war happening in an election year. Today in the France 24 debate, we're asking about Blinken's message for Netanyahu. Joining us from Tel Aviv, Charles Freilich, former Israeli deputy national security advisor, today senior fellow at the Institute for National Security Studies. Thank you for joining us. Uh, from London, Nomi Bar-Yakov, associate fellow at uh, the think tank Chatham House. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Francois. Also in the UK capital, Gilbert Ashkar, professor of development studies and international relations at SOAS University. Good to see you again. Thank you and good evening. <clears throat> Stephen Ekovich, Professor Emeritus at American University of Paris, is with us as well. How are you? Always good to be with you, friends. All right, your reactions mm. on the hashtag F24 debate. Yeah, attention squarely on Israel's northern border. The prime minister visiting with troops there this Monday amid news that an airstrike had now targeted the car of a senior Hezbollah commander in southern Lebanon. Catherine Viet has more. Israeli airstrikes hit southern Lebanon near the town of Qiyam. Following the October 7th attacks, the border has become the scene of regular clashes between Hezbollah and the IDF. On Monday, the militant group targeted the surroundings of Kiryat Shmona in northern Israel, the same place Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu visited. I chose to come to Kiryat Shmona on the day where the target of bombing an anti-tank fire. I really appreciate the service you and your friends are doing here to protect our northern borders, which sends a message to Hezbollah. Hezbollah made a big mistake in 2006 and is still making mistakes today. In recent days, the conflict has escalated following the assassination of Hamas's deputy chief Salah al-Aruri in Beirut. The risk of a wider regional conflict has never been closer. However, according to the Washington Post, citing American intelligence, Israel would have difficulty winning a war against Hezbollah because its military assets and resources are spread too thin with the ongoing conflict in Gaza. The IDF now says it's focusing on the Radwan forces, an elite unit of Hezbollah. According to Reuters, Israel's drone strike on Monday killed the unit's senior commander.
What Israel wants from Hezbollah is for the Radwan forces to withdraw from the border. And if this doesn't happen, Israel is threatening a limited military operation. We don't really know what that means and if it will serve a purpose. This is the context for the recent escalation. Hezbollah, which has well-trained fighters in tens of thousands of missiles and rockets, would also like to avoid a major escalation, according to U.S. officials who spoke to The Washington Post. Charles Freilich, the, the killing of the senior Hezbollah commander in uh, southern Lebanon, uh, our correspondent in Beirut earlier, uh, wondering aloud whether uh, this was a Qassam Soleimani moment here. Uh, uh, how, how, how big a story is this? Salam, the Soleimani case as well was an isolated attack which impacted um, the IRGC's capabilities for a while, but it wasn't a turning point in history, nor is this. But I think the important point to understand here, and I'm not sure this came across in the report, these, the, the cross-border firing has, didn't start with this attack. It started uh, pretty much the day that the war in Gaza started. Hezbollah, with Iran's obvious uh, agreement and maybe encouragement, tried to create a low-level second front to tie down Israeli forces and, of course, to just impose an ongoing uh, cost on Israel. And so this has been going uh, for months now. And there's a question whether, um, I mean, 80,000 people from Israel's northern communities were evacuated at the beginning of the war. Uh, when do they get to go back home? There are rockets and uh, anti-tank missiles being fired across the border daily. This is a situation that no sovereign state could possibly tolerate. So Israel is taking limited uh, moves so far to try and prevent it. This comes after decades of conflict with uh, Hezbollah. It has to end. After that strike last week, uh, which uh, the airstrike by Israel in uh, the uh, uh, heartland of uh, Hezbollah strongholds uh, in Beirut that uh, targeted a senior Hamas figure. There was this fear that uh, the escalation would go full throttle then. It didn't happen. Why? Well, because I think Hezbollah doesn't want and probably doesn't want an all-out escalation now. Uh, Israel is on the alert. It's fully mobilized. It's ready. That wasn't the case, unfortunately, on the Gaza front on October 7th. So a, a certain level of hostilities serves their purposes. Hostilities at too high a level may not. And they, if and when they decide to really have a significant escalation, I think it will be for their own purposes rather than in support of Hamas, uh, which they support up to a point, but they don't want to risk an all-out war uh, for Hamas. Nomi Baryakov, what response are you expecting after the killing of this senior Hezbollah commander? Well, I think it's certainly a call for an escalation um, on the part of Israel. And I think I agree with Charles that um, Hezbollah have been very measured in their response thus far. My main fear, I think no one knows, no one can predict exactly what Nasrallah, um, Hassan Nasrallah, the um, head of Hezbollah, is going to do. He'll obviously have to retaliate. The retaliation um, will um, 
presumably be of a more serious nature than the warning after uh, Salah al-Aruri's assassination last week. But the, the, the problem with these um, provocations are that um, there is a constant risk of escalation beyond a certain point, and we may reach a certain point whereby Hezbollah will feel the need to retaliate in a manner that then will trigger um, a wider war in the region, and that's my greatest fear. And this is, I don't think this is the. I don't think this is the. I think we need to watch the series of exchanges, which are clearly escalating, and hope that with Anthony Blinken's visit, um, that his um, forceful words. He's been to a number of countries in the region, and hopefully the message will be loud and clear to Israel. Um, make sure that uh, um, you know you're not dragging yourselves into an all-out war in Lebanon. Yeah, uh, and yeah. by the way, we have breaking news with uh, the Israeli military announcing. Uh, that it's killed um, Hassan Hakashah. It's a central uh, Hamas figure in Syria who was behind, uh, it says, rocket fire uh, at Israel. Uh, Gilbert Ashkar, what do you make of the sequence of events of uh, the last week now with uh, the killing of uh, uh, two and, and possibly a third senior figure, one from ha two from Hamas and one today uh, from Hezbollah? Well, uh, I think uh, that points to, to the obvious fact that uh, Israel uh, waited until uh, the uh, intensive bombing campaign that has been going on in Gaza, which has uh, reached those uh, genocidal proportions that we have seen, that this bombing campaign uh, uh, comes to an end and they can move there, as they have announced, to a lower intensity phase of, of the, the war in Gaza. So they waited until then to turn towards the, the northern front, towards Lebanon, which uh, they have been doing uh, now. Now, of course, uh, uh, I, I don't uh, uh, expect uh, Israel to think of a new invasion of Lebanon, but what they are threatening with, and which is what uh, the Minister of Defense, Israeli Minister of Defense, Yoav Galant, uh, threatened with from, from the, the beginning and earlier uh, last summer already, uh, uh, to destroy Lebanon, to, to apply the so-called Dahia doctrine once more in Lebanon, which is a massive destruction like we have seen in Gaza. So uh, this threat uh, remains on the table. It is now reactivated since uh, the, the major phase in Gaza is over, of bombing, I mean. And, and of course, now it all depends on the United States because Israel cannot engage in a new exchange of very intensive bombing with uh, with Lebanon, with, with Hezbollah, without U.S. participation. Uh, the United States has been instrumental, has been absolutely uh, crucial for the war that Israel waged on Gaza. It is basically the first joint U.S.-Israeli war uh, ever, because it has been done with an airlift, permanent airlift of U.S. material to, to Israel. Uh, whatever claims the, the, the Biden administration has, uh, it has been part, uh, uh, integral part of this war on Gaza. Yeah, it's been, it's been airlifting ammunition on a daily basis, uh, Gilbert Ashkar, but does the United States want to back uh, a, a campaign against Lebanon? Well, I, I, I would presume not, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, it's... Uh, 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 difficult to to see how how much this administration is willing to to uh, coerce Israel to uh, to tell Israel look 
we are not going to uh, uh, to help you on this. We are not going to provide you with what you need to carry on uh, uh, another intensive uh, 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 bombing campaign. Uh, I haven't seen signs of such attitude from the administration. We have seen only hypocritical moral admonestation to Israel and a lot of concern about the day after in Gaza, which is quite far actually, and uh, nothing as concrete uh, measures. So we have to see what this Biden administration uh, would do, especially that they know that the, the Republican right and Donald Trump, and we have presidential election, as you know, next fall in the United States, will be there uh, 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 outbidding them at uh, the fir at first opportunity. You heard earlier uh, Stephen Ekovich, uh, Nomi Bar uh, Yankov, uh, mention the timing of all this with uh, the arrival of, of, uh, of Antony Blinken. Your thoughts on what he's going to say when it comes to Lebanon? We can speculate if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can probably conclude, uh, say, that there will be a reiteration of a very long-standing American policy that is the support of Israel. But th that's the baseline. Uh, given that, uh, there will probably be some message about uh, um, some forms of restraint, or at least publicly, it has to seem that the Americans are giving. But this you kind heard of you heard Gilbert Ashkar say that there can't be a campaign in Lebanon without U.S. support. So uh, of course not. I, so I mean, will that mean no it, campaign in Lebanon? Because you heard Benjamin Netanyahu uh, hinting that uh, this could be like 2006 again. Uh. Okay, well, so this is gesticulation, and it's dangerous gesticulation backed up by uh, arms. Uh, but as we've already seen, nobody, no side wants this to escalate any further. Um, so the temperature is up. Uh, it's dangerous. Uh, but once again, neither side seems to want to take the uh, fatal step to, toward anything that's very extremely escalatory. Um, now, let's, we have to constantly bring into focus here that the United States is going through a presidential campaign. Uh, Biden is on a tightrope. Uh, three quarters of American Jews support what Biden is doing in uh, Israel, uh, in Gaza, the Gaza operation. Uh, this is very important in a state like Florida, uh, where Jews are also older, and which tend to support very solidly American policy vis-a-vis uh, -vis Israel. The Democrats don't have to worry about the Jewish vote in California or the Jewish vote in, in Manhattan or New York. Uh, but, you know, Florida is, is a swing state with a lot of electoral votes. On the other hand, Biden can't go too far in that direction either because polls show that the voting bloc in the United States between 18, the 1824 voting bloc is 60% favorable in some sometimes vague way to Palestine. Uh, so in, in just in declaratory uh, policy and electoral politics, uh, mm. he's on a tightrope. He, he, he has to please both of those electorates if he's going to re, uh, win re-election in the coming election. Um, and it's too early to tell, by the way. Right, let's listen in because uh, the U.S. Secretary of State uh, speaking upon his arrival. Not in our remembrance to uh, here in Saudi Arabia. Everywhere I went, I found leaders who were determined to prevent the conflict that we're facing now from spreading, uh, doing everything possible to deter escalation, uh, to prevent a widening uh, of the conflict. Uh, we also talked about the future of this region. 
And I think there's broad agreement on a few basic objectives. First, that Israel and Israelis should be able to live in peace and security, free from the fear of terrorist attacks or aggression from any of their neighbors. Second, that the West Bank and Gaza should be united under Palestinian-led uh, governance. Third, the future of the region needs to be one of integration, not division and not conflict. And fourth, for that to happen, we need to see the establishment of an independent Palestinian state. Now, no one I talk to thinks any of this will be easy. Um, all recognize the, uh, the hurdles, and no one thinks that anything will happen overnight. But we agreed to work together uh, and to coordinate our efforts to help uh, Gaza stabilize and recover, to chart a political path forward for the Palestinians, and to work toward long-term peace, security, and stability in the region as a whole. I also found across the board that the countries we visited, the leaders we spent time with, are prepared to make the necessary commitments, to make the hard decisions, to advance all of these objectives, to advance this vision for the region. Uh, we're heading now to Israel, where I'll have an opportunity to share with Israeli leaders everything I've heard thus far uh, on this trip, and also to talk to them uh, about the future direction of their military campaign in Gaza. Uh, I will press on the absolute imperative to do more to protect civilians and to do more to make sure that humanitarian assistance is getting into the hands of those who need it. We'll also, of course, focus on our relentless efforts to bring back the hostages, Americans, Israelis, and others. And we'll talk about how we see the future for the region and for Israel. And I, I'm convinced that there is a future path that can actually bring lasting peace and security for Israel, that can ensure that October 7th never happens again, and that can bring the region together, that can meet the aspirations of the Palestinian people, um, and do it in a way that makes this a region focused on the future, not on the challenges of the past. With that, I'm happy to take a couple of questions. Ian? Secretary, your trip is partly about trying to prevent a wider war, but Israel has now killed two Hezbollah leaders within a week. What does that say about U.S. leverage over Israel, and doesn't that risk a second front? And secondly, uh, Qatari Prime Minister Al-Tani yesterday said military strikes against the Houthis were not the best option and that he preferred uh, diplomacy since the military strikes would raise regional tensions. What message are you giving to Arab partners in the region about U.S. and coalition efforts uh, and intentions towards potential military strikes in Yemen? Well, first, Ian, with regard to, uh, to Lebanon, it's clearly not in the interest of anyone. Israel, Lebanon, Hezbollah, for that matter, uh, to, see this, uh, to see this escalate and to see an actual conflict. And the Israelis have been very clear with us that they want to find a diplomatic way forward, a diplomatic way forward that creates the kind of security that allows Israelis to return home. Nearly 100,000 Israelis have been forced to leave their homes in northern Israel because of the threat uh, coming from uh, Hezbollah and Lebanon, but also allows Lebanese uh, to return to their homes in southern Lebanon. And we're working intensely on that effort um, and doing so diplomatically. Second, with regard to, to the Red Sea, um, the international community as a whole faces a challenge. 
these attacks, consistent attacks by the Houthis on international shipping, um, are a threat to everyone. We talked about this all, uh, yesterday. You've got about 15% of the world's commerce every day going through that, that strait, going through the Red Sea. And these attacks are having a real effect on, on the prices that people have to pay for food, for medicine, for energy. Ships have to get diverted to other places. Insurance rates go up. And the basic principle of freedom of navigation is what's at stake. So the international community has a real stake in upholding uh, that principle. As I said, we've had 40 countries come together to make clear that what the Houthis are doing has to stop. And we have other countries that have made clear that if it continues, uh, there have to be consequences. So our strong view, our strong preference is that the Houthis get the message that they're receiving from countries around the world that this needs to stop. And that's what we're focused on. Um, before the October 7th attacks, you and other aides to President Biden were trying to pursue the idea of Saudi-Israel normalization. And that's become, it seems that's become much more difficult in light of the attacks, given the animus on... Yeah, we've been listening now. there to live remarks uh, from uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, departing Saudi Arabia as he heads next uh, for uh, Israel. Charles Freilich, your uh, reactions, listening to the words of uh, the U.S.'s top diplomat. Well, I think uh, the, the secretary stated forcefully and clearly the American positions that have been pretty apparent since the beginning of the war. Uh, the U.S. certainly does not want to see a further escalation and an expansion of the war, and uh, that's understandable, and that's a sentiment that most of us, I hope, share. But I'd like, with your permission, to comment on a couple of the things that were said earlier uh, by some of the other uh, participants, I was wondering how long it would take for somebody to throw out the buzzwords, the propaganda buzzwords, uh, genocide, Israel's genocidal war. I was happy to hear that we were not accused this time of apartheid, racism, Nazism, and all sorts of other horrific things. This, if one wants to talk about a genocidal war, Hamas, their charter officially states that their objective is, I quote, the obliteration of the state of Israel. Now, talk about genocide. And the first time they ever had a chance to implement this through a military success, they crossed the border and slaughtered 1,200 Israelis. In American terms, by the way, that's the equivalent of 40,000 people, about 14 9-11s. Um, Israel is fighting here a defensive war, even if sometimes the defense has to be carried out optimistically, uh, uh, offensively. This right, but it's it's not defense. it's not how it's perceived by the by the rest of the world after th more than uh, three months. Well, when you see the casualty toll in Gaza, when you see, for instance, uh, the killing over the weekend of those two journalists uh, who were covering the conflict. No journalists are ever targeted intentionally, and the war, if it happens against Hezbollah, is a war of self-defense. And the fact that people uh, may perceive it differently doesn't make them right. Public opinion changes over numerous things uh, over the time. And I'm not saying, by the way, that uh, Israel is above criticism. No country is. But in terms of a war, uh, a genocidal war, it really takes a certain degree of gall to present it in those terms. And uh, the secretary, the U.S. can't force Israel's hand, whether it's in Lebanon or in Gaza. It certainly has a lot of influence. But the reason that the U.S. has not put uh, heavy pressure 
on Israel to stop the war in Gaza. It's trying to affect how Israel goes about uh, waging it, maybe. Uh, and Israel actually, in the end, came uh, to the same conclusion anyway, and it's transitioning now. But the reason that the U.S. has supported the Israeli position uh, overall till now is because it supports it, because it understands that it is a defensive Right. War. So Ga Gaza, Gaza is one thing. What about that question that was put by that reporter to the U.S. Secretary of State? How much leverage does the United States have over Israel when it comes to Lebanon and how far it escalates there? Well, again... The U.S., of course, has leverage over Israel. We're close allies, and Israel is highly dependent on the U.S. But it's not complete control, nor does the U.S. see complete control. And again, as in the Gaza case, fundamentally, the U.S. supports the Israeli position. Hezbollah is also formally committed to Israel's destruction, has been waging this war since it was established in 1983. And this didn't start, again, this didn't start with the attack today or last week. It didn't actually start with the attacks that have been ongoing since October 7th. It's been going on for 40 years now. And that's why, and it, again, for Israel's destruction. And that's why it, the U.S. supports Israel in this fundamentally. Uh, Nomi Baryakov, your thoughts on what Antony Blinken in private will say to Benjamin Netanyahu when it comes to uh, the escalation we're witnessing, when it, and I say escalation, uh, I don't say it lightly, uh, with Lebanon. I think he'll be quite firm. I think he'll say the last thing the U.S. wants to do wants is to be dragged into a war um, in Lebanon. And uh, given the close ties between Hezbollah and Iran, the very last thing the U.S. wants to be to do is to be dragged into a war between the U.S. and Iran. And I think that um, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, Israel's prime minister you know, may drag um, the U.S. into such a war if it escalates. I'll go back to what I said earlier. The the risk is that this, you know, you the, the, there's gradual escalation, incremental escalation, and you reach a certain point of no return. We've just seen three assassinations outside the borders of Gaza, um, two in Lebanon, one in the heart of Hezbollah, one in South Lebanon, also the heart of um, Hezbollah, and um, one in... Syria. So there's clearly um, a risk. And the question is, what is Antony Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State, going to do about it beyond words? What leverage is he going to have over Netanyahu? Netanyahu is more interested in prolonging um, the war than he is in anything else. The last thing he needs is um, the various trials um, that he's been uh, charged with corruption, three different trials. Um, he's already been indicted. The, everything is on hold. I mean, the trials are on hold because of the war. He also lost um, the judicial overhaul. The coup against the judiciary um, is on hold because the Supreme Court basically ruled that the basic law that the government, um, this extreme right wing government has enacted is illegal and they cannot do so. So he's already lost a number of battles. Um, so he has a personal interest in prolonging the war, extending the war. Um, and as I said, it's very risky. The big question is, what is Antony Blinken going to do beyond words? What is he going to actually do in order to um, prevent escalation? I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that there's a consensus in the Arab world, um, including Turkey, all the countries that he's visited, that um, the implementation of the Arab Peace Initiative, the Saudi Arab Peace Initiative of 2002, then... Um, was uh, modified in Beirut in 2007, that that is the blueprint for 
um, an end game. We need to have an end game here for the day after. And we then work sort of backwards and away from that. No so country is going to rebuild Gaza. No country is going to invest a penny in Gaza, including Qatar, unless there is a framework. Um, and we and we know what the end game. He made it very loud and clear. He said the Palestinians, to quote him, as you just as we just heard, um, their their aspirations need to be realised. It was not quite the words he used, but he does use use the word Palestinian um, aspirations. That means a contiguous West Bank Gaza state. And at the moment in Israel, no one wants to hear about it. Yeah, let me ask you, Nomi, because earlier you heard Gilbert Ashkar uh, connecting the dots between Israel's military yeah. announcing over the weekend that it's drawing down operations in northern Gaza. Uh, and now uh, this uh, escalation that we're witnessing at the northern border uh, with Lebanon. So here, here's my qu question to you. Where is it going as, as Anthony Blinken uh, uh, arrives? Is it going towards a different front or are we going to see the U.S. calling time? Well, I don't know what the U.S. is going to do. And it'll be very interesting to see both what Antony Blinken says after his meetings and, and also what Netanyahu says after the meetings. Um, because I um, can guarantee they're not going to be speaking um, in the same language, in the same tone. So um, that's, that's to sort of, you know, to be... Um, what the, the uh, Israeli military announced that 2024 is going to be a year of war. Yeah, they're preparing, they've released 150 reservists at the moment, but basically told them, okay, this is a bit of a break, stand by, you will be um, called back in. So by changing phases from phase two to phase three in Gaza, well, there's a long, long way away from the end um, of the war, since Israel set its targets as releasing the hostages. There are currently 126 hostages. Uh, 24 are known to be dead, according to um, the Israeli army and um, the Israeli government. The question is, how do you prevent further deaths? So many of the uh, hostages are badly wounded um, and uh, elderly and held in dreadful conditions in the tunnels with uh, not much food, if any, and not much oxygen. Um, and those who've come out, the hostages that have come out, have reported um, dire conditions. So the, the question is, how does Israel get 126 hostages back, including um, the bodies, um, and meet its targets? It's a question to Israel. And meet the target of destroying Hamas, which I don't think is, ten, is, is a realistic goal in any event. So I think there'll be a clash between what Antony Blinken um, is the message he's going to come with, having consulted uh, extensively, deeply and broadly with um, a large number of countries in the region and where the Netanyahu uh, government is standing. I think there are 38 uh, extreme ministers in this government that live in a completely different reality to the reality that the rest of the world um, live in. And, I, and the question really is how to prevent um, the... Of, of the Many things he said, the question, uh, uh, Blinken, the question is, A, how to prevent escalation, B, how to end the war and release the hostages, um, and, and then C, how do you move from that to uh, ensuring that um, the aspirations of the Palestinian people who deserve to have um, a state long overdue is met, including having a secure um, Israeli state. As I said earlier, at the moment, no one in Israel or hardly wants to hear about um, um, two states. Uh, no sign of wavering inside of uh, Israel's ruling coalition. Netanyahu and his allies control 64 of parliament's uh, 120 seats. But 
with uh, calls for elections now heard at a rally at Tel Aviv on Saturday. That moment of national unity after October the 7th no longer applies to domestic politics. This Monday, senior opposition leader Yair Lapid calling on the likes of uh, Benny Gantz to quit the government's national unity war cabinet, saying, quote, they're not saving the people of Israel, they're saving uh, Netanyahu. Do you feel, Gilbert Ashkar, as though uh, now the, uh, uh, the pressure is building on Israel's prime minister to wind it down? Uh, yes, but uh, please allow me to reply to what has been said uh, about my own intervention. I mean, I, I listened politely. I expected you to to give me the floor after the the, the comments on uh, on my on my remarks. So please, I, I need to to reply to that. Uh, the former Israeli security official uh, uh, said that uh, uh, I mean the equivalent of forty thousand Americans were killed on October seven. Uh, it seems he doesn't realize that the equivalent of 3,300,000 Americans have been killed until now in Gaza by the Israeli armed forces. That is more than 1% of the population of Gaza has been killed. And that is not to mention 80% of, of the, the, the territory destroyed, uh, not to mention 85% uh, or 90% of the population displaced and without uh, getting the necessary uh, uh, food and uh, uh, other uh, needs that they, they, they have. All this it does not count. And then the, the former security official uh, says that Hezbollah has been against Israel since 1983. Well, good. Good remark. What was happening in 1983? Well, Lebanon was occupied. Israel occupied Lebanon up to Beirut and ended up occupying Beirut itself, which is my city, by the way. And, and that's the, 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 what led to the creation of Hezbollah. And Hamas, well, Hamas was created 1987 right. in Gaza. That is after 20 years of occupation of Gaza. Okay, so, so we, we hear Gilbert, issues, we hear the differences yeah. between you and Charles Freelich no, on no, this. No, 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 but I mean, I, I have to state these things because I, they, they, I, I hear you, but I mean, let's, when, let's, when someone because accuses if we, the other of, it, of doing propaganda and they, right. they embark on propaganda, on propaganda discourse, that's what you get. But anyhow, yes, getting back to, to your question. The question is, I is mean, the pressure building on Netanyahu now? Well, the, the, the pressure is building on Netanyahu, but that's not uh, the, the, the pressure that uh, you are pointing to, which, uh, at least from uh, what I can tell uh, from uh, reports about the, the mood in Israel. Uh, uh, there is a, a very vast majority uh, in favor of continuing the war. And uh, I'm not sure that uh, if this uh, same very vast majority would be against uh, uh, continuing the, more, uh, the war even against uh, uh, Lebanon. So uh, this remains to be seen. I think it will more depend on what happens within the, the coalition, the, the, the existing coalition, and uh, maybe uh, within the coup itself, because we know that there is some uh, uh, old rivalry between uh, the Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Defense Minister Yoav Gallant. Uh, uh, so, I mean, if, if there is something to happen at this level, that would be at, at this, uh, in this uh, framework. But uh, I don't see any one of, of the, those who hold real uh, influence today in Israel being against continuation of the war. Uh, Stephen Ekovich, is the pressure coming 
more from abroad or more domestically? Oh, I, I, look, in, in no way can the United States seem to be putting pressure on a uh, Israeli government to change a government. No way. Uh, the Israelis themselves will have to decide what kind of government they want. And if, if any effective pressure will come from inside, whether that's about regarding elites uh, and, and the powerful around the prime minister or not, whether it comes from the population, uh, that has to be and will be viewed by the United States. The United States will not mingle or, or meddle uh, into the a choice of a new government. They cannot, absolutely cannot do that, and they won't want to be seen to do that. Now, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm, I don't know to what extent uh, Antony Blinken can be firm uh, with the, the Israelis. Even if he is firm, I, I doubt that it's going to have that much influence. This, what we heard, uh, we, we, we listened, all of us together, uh, to Antony Blinken. That was a predictable speech. We predicted it even before we heard it. In fact, we could have... You predicted it. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. We could have heard that speech 10 years ago, 20 years ago, essentially. Right, uh, but that's diplomacy. You hit, it's what you yeah, say in public okay. is not the same so, as what you say in private. Yeah, okay, so we didn't learn anything in public. We, we sure would like to know, but we can only speculate about what, be, what might be happening in private. And what I'm saying here is in private, I'm sure that there's not going to be pressure on, Net, on Netanyahu to change his government. The United States cannot do that, even though the United States may believe that the Netanyahu government is not presenting a very good image of Israel. It doesn't help the international image. Of, of Israel to have a prime minister like this, especially with this policy in the West Bank. And there's this, there's this amalgamation, this is a frenzy and assimilation between the policy in the West Bank and what's going on in Gaza. It's unfortunate in some ways that indeed that Netanyahu is the, is the current prime minister uh, because it's, it's not good communication to the rest of the world. Uh, uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, so um, in terms of, you know, uh, the, 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 the accusation of genocide against Israel, it's just an unsavory irony that it's South Africa that's bringing this to the International Criminal Court. South Africa, which would not arrest Omar al-Bashir of Sudan when he visited South Africa in 2015. Right. Uh, well, we so, can talk, we can talk yeah. about that a, a little bit later on. Charles Freilich, let me ask you, that... that demonstration on Saturday where we heard that call for fresh elections, the remarks by uh, Yair Lapid, one of the big opposition leaders, uh, calling on fellow uh, uh, opposition uh, uh, bigwigs to quit that uh, unity war cabinet. Uh, does that matter? Well, sure it matters. Uh, someone who has participated in these demonstrations for the last uh, few years uh, I have great sympathy for what they were saying. The opposition to the government is not over the war, the conduct of the war. Uh, there is a broad consensus in Israel that the war has to continue, and maybe even, uh, not that anybody wants to see this, but maybe even expand uh, to Hezbollah, because there is a feeling that we are fighting for our lives here against uh, organizations who seek our destruction, quite simply. Now, I think what we will I, I mean, I think Israel is going, is, stands before a dramatic political earthquake. Uh, I think it will happen in the coming months. It was postponed by the war and... I so think coming I, months, not coming days or weeks? Oh no, of course not. We, we are still in the midst of the war and it will take time. Uh, it won't come from within the ruling coalition, and I don't even think it'll come 
uh, stage one from within the Knesset, the parliament. I think what we'll see as the fighting in uh, Gaza continues to die down in the coming weeks, um, or at least the level will decrease, we will then see the public feeling comfortable to start turning out in the, in the streets in uh, big numbers. And if we saw something like a half a million a week uh, at the height of the protests over the judicial uh, reform, I think we'll probably see two or three times that because now it won't be a matter of the center and the center left. The right wing is uh, fit to be tied over what happened, over the incredible failure of the government uh, to prepare for this war. Uh, I think we're going to see a major change, and I think we'll probably see a um, much more centrist government in a matter of months. Also, this entire discussion has been focused on Israel, which is, I find, somewhat strange, uh, whereas there is one terrorist organization called Hamas, and there's another one called Hezbollah, both of whom call for Israel's destruction. And then the fight, the discussion is about Israel. And again, Israel isn't above criticism. And it's not as if we haven't make, made mistakes. Of course we but there's also a side which has repeatedly put forward proposals for peace, including a, with a willingness to withdraw from almost 100% of the West Bank and 100% of Gaza, and a side which has rejected every possible proposal and says that it's against any peace proposal. And the focus of the discussion is just on Israel. A little one-sided. Nomi Baryakov, is it a little one-sided to look at, uh, at Israel's next move? I'm sorry, Francois, could you repeat the question? Israel's the next move? Yeah. Is the question, what do I think Israel's next move is going to be? Yeah, and well, is it one-sided to be talking about it when, when we're, we're at, at, at this point, when there is this pressure on the prime minister, again, as we say, both internationally and domestically? I, I think the domestic pressure is going to grow immensely as soon as the war ends. And, the, and that's partially why, or mainly, why he is prolonging the war. And that is why he's so dangerous. Um, and that's what we need to watch out for. You're not going to get half a million or a million or a million and a half protesters protesting for Netanyahu's removal until the war ends. And that I, and I'm just reiterating how dangerous he is um, and how catastrophic the situation could be. It's already a catastrophe in Gaza, and I understand exactly why the focus of the discussion is where it's at, because um, there are 22,883 um, civilians, uh, not civilians, sorry, I take that back, um, uh, Gazans um, dead, um, excluding those under the rubble. Yes, it is horrendous what happened on the 7th of October. It is absolutely, you know, beyond awful and beyond words, but the only solution to um, the to, to what's going on is to have a political settlement, both um, um, for the stability of Israel and Gaza and the West Bank, which will have to be a contiguous Palestinian uh, state eventually, and hopefully not for too long. And also um, in Lebanon, Israel is saying that United States the uh, Nations Security Council Resolution 1701 isn't implemented. That's the resolution that calls for Hezbollah to be north of the Litani River. It is true that it is not implemented. It is true that Hezbollah sit on the border and have been doing so after Israel withdrew 
But there is no way that Israel can take on Hezbollah with their 150,000 um, precise um, uh, rockets. And they have a far greater military um, capability and superiority to Hamas. And they also have a border um, with Syria that borders um, with um, Iraq and Turkey. So ammunition could flow anytime um, if Israel takes them on. It's not like Gaza, where you have Egypt on one side and Israel on the other side. So it's... Um, it's a completely different scenario, and it's also a different scenario because um, Iran backs Hezbollah. So the only um, the only way to deal with the situation is really to look at a um, comprehensive solution for the whole region that will allow every state in the region to live in peace and security. Unfortunately, we're, we're running short on time. Nomi Baryakov, I want to thank you so much for joining us from London. I want to thank as well uh, Gilbert Ashka for being with us from the UK capital. Charles Freelich in uh, Tel Aviv, I want to thank you as well. Stephen Ekovich, thank you for joining us here in the France 24 debate. Thank you, Pastor.